All right, it is six o'clock. I am Kimberly M. Starks, uh, pu public relations professional and uh, principal consultant of Blue Scorpion Reputation Management. And with me here today, we have Hannah Kipnis, who is a part of the BSRM team. And we have the pleasure today of having CEO, designer, and engineer Joe Casava of Puzzles by Joe joining us today. Hi, Joe. How are you? I am doing good. Wonderful. Well, we are so excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will allow you to jump right in and tell us all about how you became an indie game developer and your journey to this point. Well, cool. I'm going to start off by just sharing a little presentation. And I think this is the only time I've told the what I would call the warts and all story of how I became a uh, indie game dev for starters. And I had uh, 20 years at least of what I would call, well, at least 10, 13, 40, whatever, of, of failure in a sense you know, when I first started it. So we're going to go through this really quick and then hopefully come back and talk more about clutter. So I'm going to start the screen share right now. Okay, this is, um, this is my um, splash screen for the next game and uh, which is called Clutter Evolution. But so how did I get here? Uh, oh, one more thing. There we go. Okay. Um, in, in Clutter, in the seventh Clutter game, which was called um, Clutter Infinity, Joe's Ultimate Quest, um, the, the stories had become more and more meta and more about me. And for whatever reason on uh, Clutter Infinity, I decided to tell the story of how I became the guy that created the Clutter game. So most of what I'm showing you came from that game. And that game started with a story about my bad left eye. And those four boys in the middle are my brothers, uh, me and my three brothers, and I'm the one on the bat looking bored. And that's because I actually have a bad left eye. And because I have a bad left eye, I could not catch a ball as well as my brothers. So I didn't enjoy it as much. And this, this really, you know, encapsulates this. And my brothers, my three brothers were really, you know, pretty much excellent jocks. And there's an argument that could be made that if I didn't have a bad left eye, I would have been a jock just like them and there'd be no clutter. And that's the story I told throughout the whole uh, Clutter 7. So I went from this story into to get my father's love instead of playing catch with him, I would uh, I learned long division before I was in kindergarten. So, um, and what's interesting about this is when I realized this is, this is my first algorithm. And I'm a little computer. If you just follow the steps of these small little steps, you get the right answer. And that's exactly what an algorithm is. Of course, I didn't know it was a computer or whatever, but you know, this is this is my love of math, et cetera, which definitely led into me becoming who I am. Um, also around the same time, I started loving puzzles and games. And this is from a game called Cribbage. And in Cribbage, you can't uh, score the 19. When you have nothing in your hand, you say, oh, I got 19. And that's because that's the lowest points that you can't score. It's impossible. Well, I'm six years old going, I think they're wrong. I believe I was going to prove them wrong. So I sat down in my grandmother's kitchen for um, uh, actually grandmother's living room on the floor with the cards all spread out. Um, 
trying to prove that I could get a 19 hand. So, which is another rule-based thing, algorithms, it's, you know, scoring or whatever. So it's just my love of things like that early on. Uh, by sixth grade, uh, this picture's in there for so many reasons in the game. There's a little, um, in the lower left there, you'll see a thing, that's, that's what became my gap war puzzles. That's an example of this little puzzle I had that was just nine squares that you put together and again, I loved it. I, I solved it, but then I'm done. I want, I want another puzzle. Why can't I get a random version of that? Uh, there's some nerd stuff there, my comic books, a little computer. I had a plastic computer that I was the only one that read the instructions for. I wasn't like my father sat there. So I had to figure things out. The monkeys are there. And so is Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner because they represent my love of indie things. Though uh, The Prisoner is anti-establishment. The Monkees was this manufactured group that rejected being part of this manufactured group. They wanted to do their own music. They, Mike Nesmith especially, wanted to take control of his own life. And those are my indie roots right there. And I'm only in sixth grade when I you know, went back to look at this. Nice. Um, this was just to show you that, yeah, I was influenced by my, my jock brothers. I did play basketball. I was a normal kid. I was kind of off the chart in math, but... You know, other than that, I was kind of social. And I think, you know, I thank my my family and my brothers for that, that I'm pretty much a social nerd. Um, you know, I wanted to play with others. So sometime in 1983, I, I was a business programmer for about six years, nine years, I guess. And I wanted, I worked in a COBOL shop that was... Um, I was the only non-COBOL in the COBOL shop because I thought COBOL was boring and I, I did other interesting things. But I learned C on my own and I actually became a game programmer because I wanted to learn C and I wanted to have something interesting to do uh, while, while learning C. And I created this game called Modern Problems and it had everything in the kitchen sink in it. And it was, it was great in some ways and horrible in others. And it made me, I worked on it for three years um, at about 20 hours a week. I worked a 40 hour job, but I still came home after an hour commute and did you know 20 hours a week on this game. And it made me no money at all. I mean, literally less than 200 in a couple of years. Back then shareware was, you just sort of hoped and prayed there was no real internet. But this got me three job offers and it got me the job in my first company that uh, called Interactive Network where I actually got to write games for this stupid little thing. And this screen is, um, I don't know, 20 pixels, 200 pixels by maybe 40 pixels, I think, deep. And it's black and white only. But I got to write a nice little Maze Runner game, some trivia games, et cetera, and got my feet in, you know, enjoyed, started doing that uh, and had fun. Um, then I, I worked for another job and then I, I got... I got lucky. We got we got bought out by AOL and I had enough funny money that at one point I thought I could become an indie and do games on my own. And I didn't I didn't need to work. And for three and a half years, I I pissed away a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but it was sort of funny money from the AOL buyout. And I made a lot of these. I won't say crappy looking games, but they were all brain teasers, really smart, smart, smart games. And I couldn't figure out how to get anybody to my website at all uh, for those bottom row. 
the top row were the last couple of games I made that got me into the casual market. Um, although these made very little money, the nice thing is um, a person I used to work with that worked for iWin uh, got his CEO to look at them, and I had like nine different games, and they were just deciding in 2004 uh, to port a couple games and try to get into the PC download space. And since I did this and had some Windows experience, they hired me to do Mahjong. And I did Mahjong for them. That's the upper left there. I was stuck on a horrible game called Sproink because I was technically good. And after working for them for about five years, I did um, a design for this thing called Diamonds, a Peter Zell mystery. And Hidden Objects has just started. And I this was my version of a sort of hidden object-like game. They half greenlit it, half greenlit it. It was about half done when two other games went out and the games did so poorly that they decided not to create any more games other than their hits. So they stopped doing development and they pulled development on this game. Um, and at the time, my, my future wife, we were traveling over Hogback Mountain in, um, in Vermont, which is halfway between where my parents are in New Hampshire and where we lived in New York. And I point out HOG back because H-O-G back and H-O-G stands for hidden object game. And my future wife turned to me and said, do you think you could do diamonds on your own? And I said, no, but I can do something else. I can do something similar. And that's when the idea came for doing a game immediately called Clutter, where I would target the hidden object market without being a hidden object game. Um, this is from another talk I gave. And this sums up this moment perfectly. Uh, I, my advice was to spend your time, you know, leveraging your future, you know, spend your time now to improve and, you know, read a book, improve at something, imagine your better future, learn a new trick. But it's all for the moment of, and that's that middle. Everything you do is in preparation for a future path that you can't predict. And I could not predict, but that was Clutter was born. I came back from that weekend and I wrote a little thing. And this is the first level of the first Clutter game. And you basically just find two things that match, like the compass, like the yellow paper, like there's a mask behind there. There's even, wow, that's kind of, you know, with COVID-19, that's interesting. I have actually a face mask in that first game. Um, I put everything in that first game. I thought I was done. I thought that first game would make either over, uh, over 100,000 or less than 10,000. And it proved me wrong. I took a year to do it. I, I targeted, I didn't want it to look like it couldn't compete with the AAA hidden object game. So I didn't care if it was rough looking. Uh, one reviewer said it looked like a student project. I didn't care. I dumped everything into it. It has tons of variety, tons of mini games. And it did just well enough that made about 50,000 in 14 months which really wasn't good. I spent a year and I was expecting at least a hundred thousand from it if I was going to keep doing it, but I figured I could do the sequel in half the time. Um, and then 50,000 for six months worth of work. That's pretty good. And that's what I did. Uh, these are from the other clutter games. They got a little better looking down the road, but basically I did the sequel and the sequel taught me this thing called the franchise effect. And that blue line at the bottom is uh, the first clutter game where to the left, if you see the blue part, 
if I'd never done a second clutter game, that clutter game might have made me 60000 But because I'd done all the other clutter games, I did clutter two. Clutter two showed me, wow, I should do – clutter two did just as well, but it lifted – it added sales to that first one, which I didn't even expect. But in hindsight, it's kind of obvious that it would do that because it's free marketing for the first game. Anyways, that first game that if I'd never done another clutter game might have made 60000 has now made uh, 250000 for me. And each game lifts up, as you can see, in the uh, from the left to right. And that's like my first six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, first seven games. Um and I tell people the dumbest decision I ever made was quit my job and make the first clutter game. But the smartest decision I ever made was keep going and make that second game. Uh, and that's how I became an indie. And sometime around the third game, I switched and I decided that the best game that I ever played is called the game of making original IP. The score is in sales dollars. It's not for exposure. It's not for awards. It's not for finishing it. It's not how for how beautiful it is or how much your friends like it, not for how, how much fun it is. It's for the money. And digital original IP, I say, is, you know, is what every indie wants is um, it's the gift that keeps on going because even nowadays, now I've got 10, I'm about to release my 10 games, but even when I don't release a game, I get about 10,000 a month coming in from all the other games that are out there. And I got people approaching me now, et cetera. And about a couple of years ago, year or so ago, three years ago, I went to Unity. And finally, I got fast enough and everything doing well enough that I now can slow down. And I feel like I'm right at the point now where, where instead of grinding it out and just trying to get that next game out, I can pick and choose, have a little bit more fun. Um, I'm going to end this... Uh, that's my name up there, but I'm going to shut this screen down so that people can see those uh, nice little smileys behind uh, their heart emojis. And uh, it's something I get to do because now I, I can do it. I don't, I don't have to worry about whether, you know, if the game's going to be successful. It's going to sell enough, plus or minus a little bit. So that's my main story. And I think I shoved in more than I wanted to, but um, there's many, many factors of how I, you know, each game had its own little story between the first game, second game, third game, fourth game, fifth game. Fifth game did so well. I hired two, two young ladies that uh, did the story for me for the next game. And it was my only game that really had a true, true story with some cutscenes, And it looked so gorgeous that the, that the publishers and the producers liked it that I dealt with. But my customers didn't like it as much because it wasn't as Joe-centric as my other games. <laughs> they liked the weird Jonas. And I finally own that. <clears throat> I now, again, I, I, I kiddingly say I, I'm living the indie dream. That's, it's definitely less of a grind than it was. But, you know, it, for me, it was the moment I made business. You know, I used to call that slide I showed business before pleasure. And I really... And I still think about how to please, how to get more product out, et cetera. But I also have fun, um, you know, and that's that's my industry story. And I'm sure I left out so much. And there's the leap of faith. There's a question I used to, when I talk about this, I show a question of a guy looking in a mirror and all the questions you need to ask yourself if you're ready to go indie. 
you know, but a lot of my story is applicable to anybody. Uh, the fact that I worked 20 hours a week on that one game for three years, even though it made no money, man, that's indie. You know, that's, you got to love what you do. You got to do it. So I'm going to shut up so that Kimberly can ask some questions if she'd like and uh, possibly also check out our audience. Oh, this is a, an amazing uh, story and journey that you've shared with us. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. What I like particularly about your presentation is that you inserted the, the quote that you prepare for what's to come in the future. And you took your, your pleasure and enjoyment for games at, as an adolescent in, and made it into a career. So talk about that a little bit more for our audience, the preparation that it takes to become an indie game developer. Well, you know, it's part of it. So I have mixed feelings on the movie Forrest Gump, you know, but I'm the feather, you're right. You, you just follow what happened, right? So I was I was so happy being a nice business programmer for about six years till I got tired with it. And I, be, I created a game just so that I had something interesting to do, not because of my love and thinking I could go create games. In fact, I had tried, I think four or five years earlier, the first time I, I did a little game with graphics for the first time that was basically let two people play Othello because Othello is too hard to play. If you mess up an Othello, you just, it kind of screws up the whole board. So I wrote a little game that let two people play, but it was so painful to write. It wasn't fun. So I, you know, I, 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 I didn't do anything for four years. And then finally I wrote a game, not because I thought I could go sell the game, but because, I wanted to have something fun to do while learning C. And I still thought I was just going to be a C programmer somewhere. And then I kind of got lucky. I got this dream job working for a company that was, it was, it was TV. It was games. It was trivia. It was all it hit all my buttons, even though it was a crap little machine I showed and it was black and white, but I got a little taste for it there. Problem was I was a tools guy in the game industry for at least five or six years. And then I went out on my own, made game brain games that couldn't sell to anybody because not enough people were like me. And I guess I glossed over this. Clutter is a game for everybody. And I got better at gearing a game. Clutter goes from really, really easy levels that are really activities versus hard, hard levels. And it's like the difference between doing a 25-piece a, a jigsaw puzzle and a 2,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody wants the 2,000 jigsaw um, puzzle. The games I made when I was uh, voluntarily out of work to just try to better my craft and create games didn't make any, you know, made so little money. But they led to the uh, to the iWin iWin deciding I was the guy to create mahjong with them. And what was funny is my first week there. I looked at all the other Mahjongs and I immediately tried to lose my job by telling them there's 20 other Mahjongs out there. Why are we even doing a Mahjong game? <laughs> and their answer was, well, if it's better than everybody else's, it'll sell. And what it was, was it was really luck more than a skill. It was a good game, but that it was right at the boom where uh, the industry dis uh, discovered that women over 40 will play games if they're the right kind of games. 
and that market boomed. And actually, Majan Quest made the three series together, if you add them all up, probably made $15 million for the company. But I was the second, I wasn't even, they had Jewel Quest, which made more like 25 or 30 million. So I was the secondary, I wasn't even, you know, considered that good because Jewel Quest was huge. What they didn't realize is after that, they couldn't get a hit. They couldn't, they put out other crap and I kept pitching games. And I, what happened was in that five years, I decided I could really, I wouldn't say pick winners, but I could definitely know the losers. And one of the, one of the joke side things I used to say is um, they'll say in game dev, they'll say, it's really hard to find the fun. And like, that's like, they're doing something hard. And I got so sick of hearing it. I finally came up with this answer, which was, okay, okay. I'll agree with you. It's hard to find the fun, but you know, what's not hard finding the not fun and staying the hell away from it. And that's what I think I got better at is thinking of the games in terms of the players. Like I don't have a load screen. I don't pop up. My games don't even have people sign in anymore because I always found that annoying. My games, if you hit the X to exit, it just exits. It doesn't go, are you sure? You know, it's, it's all those little touches. And my levels, I did a game two games back with no text. They have to figure everything out. And it annoyed some of my players. Everything's icon-based, but there's no instructions. And it worked. It sold as well as the other, you know, no big deal. The big, they were a little annoyed that they couldn't find the timer, but it was right there. And anybody who played around and experiment had a nice little aha experience. And it didn't do worse than my other games. I mean, it, it, it was fine. And back in the day at IWIN, you know, if, if the president of the company or something couldn't figure out a level, their answer was always the same. All the producers, all the art design, to pop up a box and tell them. And I used to scream. Ah! So anyways, I don't even know how I got on all of this, but. Uh. <laughs> no, but you know, in, in that answer, and we have questions from uh, our audience members, sure. but I do have to ask this in the answer that you just provided, you Talk about a journey of adaptability. You've been in the industry a very long time and you've been able to navigate accordingly and, and be very flexible and adaptable. Talk, talk a bit about that. You're right. So I touched on it briefly is, yeah, I got stuck as a tools guy and I hated that. And at, at IWIN, I got stuck as the, you know, the math guy, the good guy, you know, whatever. And I did, they were happy what I did with Mahjong, but it, you know, it's, if you expressed if you're really good technically, that's one of the insults they'll give you. Joe's really good technically. And that means you don't want him to cut, you know, pick the color of the wallpaper. You know, <laughs> you don't want him to make an artistic decision. And I'm like, no, you know, you know, and and all along I I I work just like in life. I have theories that I keep and see if they work. And my theories in games was mechanics trump everything. And I don't quite believe that anymore. My, you know, like this is why this, these hearts look a little more beautiful than my first games, which were much more cruder. Um, but the game mechanic does, you know, trump everything. In fact, I, Clutter 3 was all about game design as the story. And I wanted them to answer the question, even though it was biased, was would you rather play a gorgeous game that's boring or an ugly game that's addicting. 
obviously there's a, you know, but I wanted them to realize that of course they want to play this ugly game called clutter. That's so addicting. Right. But, but I had fun because the story had already come meta that, you know, and I want to prove point throughout my career, I'm very motivated for proving people wrong. So one of my bosses who now has, you know, he's actually why I'm on iPad and mobile now uh, once said to me, said, Joe, nobody will ever buy just a collection of puzzles. Cause that's what I would pitch it. I, you know, for, you know, Joe, nobody will buy just a collection of puzzles. You know, they want gorgeous story. They want to merge, you know, no, I want a puzzle that people are going to play forever. And I'm motivated every day. Whenever I get a crazy idea and I hear in my head that some old producer or art director would go, you can't do that. That's crazy. They'll never go for it. It's going in the game. It's, you know. And you were right because, you know, as right we enough. talked about earlier. Right enough. I'm not so arrogant that I wouldn't say that. Now, if that first clutter was much more gorgeous or I could have convinced somebody to spend a little bit more on it, that probably could have done, you know, even better. And I do believe that if it was released way back during the Mahjong years, it would have killed. But the market shrunk and, you know, it's done what it's done. It, it, I have a nice living from it. But I kick myself that I didn't do this two years earlier. You know, I was, I'm very fear-based. I'm very much, I am the rabbit, uh, not the rabbit. I am the turtle. Slow and steady wins the race. I'm finally a little beyond that, but you know, that's. And it has worked for you. Yes. And congratulations yeah, and it, on, on what's to, to come. So at this time with the, the time that we have left, sure. let's turn it over to our audience. I know okay. they have some questions. Sounds good. So we have a question from Andrew Greenberg, and he asked, hey, Joe, how much do you still get in tips on your website? <laughs> um, not, not that much, because I don't, I don't really pander as much as I used to, but I still get occasionally one, and I think my last one was another $100 tip out of nowhere. And what's really strange is my direct sales, I just found my game on a site called GameTop, which I didn't give it to them. And it turns out this other company, Clutter One went out and it's this company I that I make so little from. It's like every two years I check in with them and say, why aren't I getting reports? Can I get a little pay? And, you know, and it's so, so small. I don't do it. But it turns out that I think GameTap being on them, they've grown because this first two weeks of this month, I made more than I've made in the, the last two months. And I think that's, I think that's this first clutter game has all of a sudden that they've gotten enough extra people that they've looked out and they tried to find my site, et cetera. So it, it's not quite tips, but it is nice when somebody finds my game in a way I've never seen before. And all of a sudden they come and they buy, since I have nine games now, there's people that show up and buy eight or nine games all at once. That's amazing. Really nice. That's wonderful. So. Do we have any other uh, questions in the comments? That was all of the questions. The rest was just audience interaction, um, interacting with the, uh, the other viewers. Okay. So before we wrap, for our young viewers, Joe, what do you recommend to be the path to get to where you are today? Unity. <laughs> I, you know, either Unity or Unreal, but get one of the engines. And even... There's a couple other ones, there's Godot and so forth that might be a little easier, but just dive in and start doing it. Um, I'm actually grateful that 
I was born when I was because I'd be a very different person if I was, you know, in high school now. I would have never left my room. I would have fell in love with computer. I would have just <laughs> Unity is so much fun. I I regret putting off that for two or three years. But um, I want to shout out to I have a local group of game devs, and I picked Unity over Unreal because of them, because um, they they're making some great games, and they they have helped me immensely with my own learning curve. Because I'm 62, I'm an old dog, tough to learn new tricks. But man, I love Unity, and uh, it's free if you're not if there's so many tools out there, there's Unity, Blender, there's so much you can learn to do and you can learn to do anything you put your mind to, you know, um, especially as long as you get an internet connection and, you know, you want somebody to show it off and, and you want to connect up, you know, network with people and stuff to get some feedback. But uh, the tools are just phenomenal nowadays. So you can just start writing games and really, you know, I, again, I was, I was married. I had a four-year-old kid and I was still putting 20 hours a week into my own, you know, one or two hours and two to three hours a night, actually every doing something. So amazing. And now, that's, that's what they can do because the tools are free. You don't, you don't pay for them until you start making money. Right. Wonderful. Well, before we go, please share with us how we can reach you. And there's one question that I had about a slide, the monkey slide, you had an apparatus in the upper right-hand corner. I was so interested to find out what that is. Please That's a plastic it. computer called DigiCalc. Ah. Uh, or Compu, is it called DigiCalc? Yeah, I think it's DigiCalc. I think it's DigiCalc. And uh, it, it was a little plastic computer and it actually had three little readouts that it, it went from zero to eight, zero, you know, zero, zero, zero to one, 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 zero to seven. And it could do elevator, it could add, and it, you programmed it with these little logic rods and it was amazing. Um, Digicomp, not calc, Digicomp okay. is what it was. But if you search for Digicomp online, you'll see the set, you'll see the other one that looks more like um it looks like the computer, little plastic computers they're selling now with the that are on a tilted board and you, you use marbles. But <laughs> it's it's phenomenal. It was a phenomenal little thing. And and I didn't think of it as a computer. It was just a toy. It was just, you know. So anyways, you can reach me. I'm Joe Casavai at AOL.com. I'm on Facebook. All you know, if you search Puzzles Joe Clutter, you'll find me. It's puzzlesbyjoe.com. Wonderful. Well, that's our time, Joe. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on to uh, our Facebook Live this evening. Uh, and you're welcome back anytime. Hannah, I want to thank you for being a part of the BSRM team. This is our last Facebook Live together, and we wish mm -hmm. you well. And to our viewers, please visit us at Blue reputation.today to learn more. Thank you so much and you all have a good evening. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, bye. -bye. bye. bye.